Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the power expenditure to my degrading bonds, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? You forgot Will. Will. Power. Uh, oh, I've gotten you twice in a row, sir. I've gotten you twice in a row. I blame the Rona. You blame the Rona? E- ever since I had it, I tell you, like, it's just like your, your brain is foggy. I'm having the worst time remembering words. It's just terrible. Out here in Oregon, we just call that stoner brain. Yeah, I don't have that excuse. <laughs> You're also in the mood today. I don't live in nearly a, a liberal enough state. So I'm going to have that, that bleep button handy. You, uh, you're in a mood. Oh, you're going to need that sucker today. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Have you heard our new you bleep? should be. I, I have a new bleep. No, I don't think I have heard the new beep. Okay, you should, you should check it out. I, I hate the sound of my own voice, so I am the worst about listening to our episodes. Mm, mm, mm. A lot of people are like that. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's terrible. It's the worst thing ever. I don't know how else to put it. It just, like, I drive myself insane. <laughs> that's par for the course. Thank our patrons. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, as usual, let's kick this episode off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are going to help us keep the lights on one more month. <laughs> and uh, actually, um, yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming up. Um, I was just looking at the uh, stack of things that we shall discuss in the near future. And you'll get a little kind of a preview, if you will, when we do our off-the-shelf segment. Because I've been playing nothing but games that we'll be reviewing in the next few months. So consider it a preview. Oh, good times, good times. Well, that means it'll be short because you'll say, like, I've been playing this game and we'll talk about it later and then we'll move on. <laughs> um, that is 1,000% the truth. <laughs> to, to, with the exception of Welcome to, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I think that perhaps my brain being foggy could also be attributed to the day that it is. Yes, Jonathan. Happy National Twilight Zone Day. The Twilight Zone premiered on October 1st, 1957. So why do we celebrate it in May? Well, humans are a questioning creature, constantly striving for answers. But there is some knowledge for which we are not yet ready. Secrets, once learned, can overwhelm. Secrets that, for now, are best left undisturbed in the Twilight Zone. It seems like a very verbose way of saying the next sentence. Yeah, nobody knows. Hey, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's I, fair. I just want to do a Sterling, man. I, I, I felt it. I felt I've been wanting to do that all week. I've been excited ever since I wrote that down. I love that Twilight Zone Tower of Terror ride. I've never been. It's super fun. It's super fun. I think the one in California got changed to Guardians of the Galaxy. It did. Yeah, I, I, I could have rode that one, but uh, my daughter wasn't feeling it, so I didn't want to. Yeah. I really enjoy that ride. But the, the I to be fair, I have not ridden the Guardians of the Galaxy one, but the Twilight Zone one is one of my favorites because there's like a whole plot that happens while you're in there and 
Um, the lead up is really cool. And yeah, it's just, it's great. It's a great ride. Super fun. Yeah. Well, if you go to Florida, you can still ride it because, uh, yeah, that's where I wrote it last year. East of the Mississippi, only Universal Studios can do Marvel stuff in theme parks. So there you go. In the, in the good old pre-Rona days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also. I remember those days. <laughs> Standing next to large crowds of people. Ah, oh, the good old days. I want to clarify a comment I made. Peter Weller is one of the few actors who has, it's not that he's had multiple parts in Star Trek. That's actually pretty common. It's that he's been in a film and the TV series. That's a little bit more rare outside of the main cast. So, cause he was Admiral Marcus and he was in the second to last episode of uh, Enterprise. So that, that is what I meant. There are very, very few actors who have been in a movie and in a TV series. Although one of them is Tim Russ, AKA Tuvok. He was kind of a glorified extra in generations and in uh, Star Trek six, the undiscovered country. And then he played Tuvok. So there you go. But what has he found? That's the real question. He found that the real Star Trek is the friends you make along the way? No, he's not found shit. I have, remember from Spaceballs? That's Tim Russ in Spaceballs. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it's really funny. Like I, he, he did an interview recently where he t- said, like, of all the roles, hundreds and hundreds of roles that he's done, including being on a Star Trek TV show, that's the one that people say the most to him. That makes sense. And five minutes into the podcast, and I already got a bleep ready. It's so good. It's oh, yeah. So good. It's going to be that kind of day, baby. Okay. Well, hopefully we don't have more technical issues like we did in that last episode. Crossing my fingers. You had to go and say it aloud, didn't I, you? I'll you knock on wood. You had to go I'll and knock say on it wood. aloud. I'm knocking on the wood. I said it with my no, fingers crossed. it's too late. You done screwed it up. I we're, said we're it with my fingers crossed. That That wards off the evil eye. Why would you do that? Because I was protecting us with my fingers crossed. That's why I did it. If we ignore it, it'd happen again. We have to we have to acknowledge it and and uh, and be in fear of it. We'd be so mad at you if you screwed us. Well, it's it it was your fault, so you should be mad at yourself then. What did, that you said those words? No, it was your audio, sir. It was your audio that was screwed up. Just saying. How dare you? How uh, dare you? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to send Peter Weller back in time to go and RoboCop your face. Drop it. <laughs> Dead or alive, your you're coming with me. Punk. Creep. It's your move, creep. God. Okay. Uh, God. Got that Rona brain, Jesus. Yeah, it's not it's no joke, man. Like my brain is just Swiss cheese. It's Swiss cheese right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we definitely call that stoner brain out here. That hey, it's like you're in a liberal state, except you didn't have the fun time to get there. How how neat is that? Yeah, all the downsides, none of the upsides. Yeah, yeah, good times, good times. You see that that joke works in multiple ways because you know you're high. Get it? <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm being nice. I kind of forgot what you said, but that's fair. That's, that's fair. fair. That's fair. This is terrible radio. I feel like this is all going to get cut. No, I mean, I'm keeping all this in. I like it. People like hearing us. They like the banter. I'm making an arm motion with my hand, like going back and forth, like we're talking, but you can't see that because this is radio. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be that guy. Okay. Swiss cheese brain. How should we uh, divvy this up? What should we start with? What do you want to do? What did we do last time? Did we go down the list normal last time? It was like the first time we went down the list from A to Z because we we so rarely start with board games, but we, we did that last time. Maybe that's what jinxed us. Maybe we should do what we usually do. A whole lot of just randomness? 
Yeah, usually we say board games for last. I don't know. All right. Well, I say we do a, a, a double tap of movies and TV followed by video games because I had a theme. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Do you want right. me to begin or shall you? Or what, how do you want to split this up? How do you want to split oh, this up? Let me up? look at your list here. Uh, oh, we finally get to talk about Justice League. Yes, we do. Yes, okay. we do. Let's start with Justice League. Okay. Okay. Because I rewatched enough. it actually. Oh, okay. It's long. It's real long. Yeah, it took me like six days. No joke. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. It was supposed to be two movies, if I remember correctly. They were, they were filming two, and I'm trying to figure out, like, where was the break point? You know, where was the finale of the first movie to lead in the second one? And it, it occurred to me, it's probably in the, uh, the, the thing where they're fighting, like, underneath Gotham Harbor, you know, before everybody joins, uh, the first time they fight yes. Steppenwolf. I think yeah. that was the climax, uh, supposed to be the climax of the, of the first film. Yeah, that, that would have been a bad climax, to be honest with you. It didn't go on nearly long enough. It didn't feel epic enough. I don't know. So, so what do you want to know? You, you said you had questions. You said you want to talk about it. What do you want to talk about it? I, I want your high-level thoughts, and then I want us to talk about whether or not it was a, a positive change. Because, you know, like I said, I, I can't call it a great movie, but I can call it a better movie. All right, all right, my thoughts. I haven't seen the original cut of the Justice League in quite a while, so I don't really remember. I remember it being kind of incoherent and weird. I remember people saying like Cyborg has a much bigger part and he kind of does, but I was sort of expecting more and I didn't get it, which is weird. I mean, overall it's an improvement. It's really, it's really interesting seeing the vision that Zach had compared to what Joss had because oh like God, night and day, right? I see. I don't know. Cause there wasn't a lot that they added. It seemed like it was just a lot of Superman doing Superman lines. Like, okay. But, but like 85% of the, cyborg stuff was not in the original cut that's true i i actually watched the original cut to prepare uh to watch the snyder cut which was a fascinating experience in and of itself and it was also not necessarily what was removed or added it was more an exercise of what notes were held and what really crap jokes were cut Because that was the biggest thing that I saw. Like, when Whedon went to it, he tried to basically, like, Avengers it. But these heroes haven't been set up that way. Like, they've spent three movies being more serious, so it doesn't work. It falls flat because it it's not, you know, the punch hasn't been telegraphed in a in a way. Yeah, yeah. And and the the other issue I had with the original cut is that, like, none of the characters end up having the ability to have any kind of soul almost like it's just they, they've cut out anything interesting from them yeah yeah i'd agree on that so the whole thing just ends up falling flat on its face yeah well yeah the original cut definitely wasn't a good movie i don't know if this one would have been better because if we'd split it up into two it might have been i don't know might have been underwhelming i don't know uh i thought it was interesting that he did it in like old style tv of the the four by three or whatever i don't know what that aspect that was a weird choice right like i yeah. still haven't figured that one out yeah, I heard Corridor Crew did an episode on it, and what they said was the problem with doing superhero movies and like widescreen is that the superheroes don't like fill the frame. And if Zach was definitely going with superheroes are gods, you know, and yeah. because of the more limited aspect ratio, they definitely it, when the camera was on one of them, they, it was like on one of them, you know, like it, they filled the screen. It was much more 
intensely them, where if you have them kind of like, you know, if you have one side of the screen with the character and the other side showing off a pretty CG background or, you know, doing artsy fartsy crap. Um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of got the point of that, you know, it's like, yeah, they definitely were like there, like it felt more intense. I don't know. I mean, no, that's not a bad theory. That's not a bad theory at all. So yeah, I kind of I kind of respect that choice. Overall, I mean, had it come out in a vacuum, I don't think it would have been received nearly as well. In light of stuff we've heard about Joss and the uh, the, the reshoots, and you know him being kind of a, a bag of yes, I I don't know. I uh, I'm glad it's out. I'm glad we get to see the difference. You know, I I don't really agree with a lot of his takes on things like. He doesn't seem to know the Superman character terribly well. I get where he was going because the he, Superman definitely had an arc in all of his films, which is he was not Superman yet. But the problem was the s- way Superman is in everybody's mind, it was really hard to see him getting to that point, and he needed to do more to get him there, I guess. Like, I, even if it was something as stupid as showing something in the future where it's like, you know, Superman at his height and then, you know really getting across that this is his journey getting there. I am in agreement though. I've had a lot of talks with this. Like people are like, Oh, Batman doesn't kill people. And I'm like, dude, have you like, you can't go around punching people in the head and face and not accidentally kill people. Like I could buy Batman doesn't necessarily try to kill people, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. A lot of, uh, a lot of the moves that Batman does in in that somebody pointed out it's from the Arkham games. Like there's a lot of, Arkham, you know, the, the Arkham oh, City. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's a heavy influence there. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, it's okay if Batman does it in a video game because nobody really dies. It's like, no, like, yeah, like, Batman totally kills people in those games. Like, I, I watched it. It's like, no, that guy's dead. Like, there's no way that you could survive some of the stuff you do in those Arkham games. And there's yeah, no way, no, I mean, People even don't in, do a full body weight backflip off their neck. Right. And, and, and not, you know, at the very, very least crack a vertebrae. Right, right, right. So, I mean, what's better, you know? And and I, in comic books, you can get away with it because comic books are are not reality. But yeah, when you're filming something in live action, I don't think you can get a, get away from the fact that yeah, pe- people occasionally die. And there's a difference between going out of your way to murder somebody, but it's still going to happen if you're going to fight somebody. I know. Overall, like I said, overall, it it was interesting. I, I it's kind of making me want to go back and watch Justice League again. But then it's going to make me want to watch the Zack Snyder cut again. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to commit six hours of my life to this again <laughs> i tell you it was interesting watching him back to back yeah and, i should have done that thinking about it legitimately it's it's um it really is just an exercise in in longer story notes and and more impactful storytelling because like the the snyder cut brings more impact to all the same basic story beats you know it kind of goes back to something we said in the last episode which is DC characters work better on TV because if you if you play them out over time, it works a lot better. Yeah. And and yeah, having four hours to do that definitely helped. And and honestly, you know, what could have helped it more having longer, <laughs> you know, where like if they were doing Marvel shows on HBO Max of these characters, it would probably be a lot more interesting. Yeah, agreed. Well, how about this? Let's cut to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, so good. You know, I at the end of it, it kind of occurred to me. Okay, so if you watch the end of Avengers Endgame and then you move from there into Captain America 4 and you haven't watched the show, I don't think it would matter. Because think about it. At the end of Endgame, he gets the shield. He seems kind of excited about it. And then you cut to Captain America 4 and he's got a new suit and he has the shield. Does anything that happened in that movie matter? Like, or in that, in that show? 
You know what I mean? Like what, what plot point is so important in that show that if you miss it, it won't make sense. Like, cause WandaVision going into Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, I could definitely see it. You know, like where did she get that costume? Why is she calling herself a witch all of a sudden? Like that's, that's going to have lasting stuff. But I, I, I was kind of disappointed in that when I realized like, I don't think the show's going to matter overall. Like it's just this kind of weird thing that you can sort of slot in between these two movies and watch. But, but see, I think you're making a big assumption about Captain America four there because I, I, I am the, the, all the indicators and all the interviews that have been given and all the indicators that have been given by the studio at this point seem to say that Bucky is a big part of that. And if you look at Bucky and Sam's relationship at the end of the last movie, and then you look at Bucky and Sam's relationship at the end of the show, I think that's what's going to play up. And I think that's why the show is important. And I really, the show is also important for a variety of different things. And, and one of it is some of the, the issues that it tackles in, in the comic book realm that are very tightly tied to some real things that our government did. And it was really nice to see those get some really respectful screen time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The the Isaiah Washington stuff was pretty good. Don't get me wrong. I liked it. I, overall, I liked it. There's a, a rumor going around that there was a subplot involving a virus because in the first episode, they mentioned that they're stealing vaccines. By the way, spoiler alert here. Hard, hardcore spoiler alert. But anyway, there's a character. The, the bad guy's like mother, air quotes, um, dies. And she's like a big name actress. And they think that they cut out like all of this like virus subplot because you know pandemic and stuff it, maybe it hit a little, a little too close to home well what they gave us was was pretty damn effective and i really enjoyed it and i thought that it was it, it was like the best kind of study in character growth like both of them grew so much in this uh, show and it was so lovely to see that that change in their their relationship too also uh the u.s agent stuff was pretty good yeah absolutely so good Props to Wyatt Russell for making America hate him. <laughs> I mean, that's that is a compliment. Like the guy's acting was on point. Like he did what he needed to do. Yeah, he was a good. I don't know if he's he's a villain necessarily, foil or whatever. But he's good because I could see his point of view on a lot of things. Like he was making bad choices, but they made sense, which is the mark of good writing. You know? When oh yeah. No, I mean, like, it, there's not a single choice that he made that I can't, that, that I sit there and say, well, that's not something a human being would do. Every single one of them rang true. Every single one of them was, was, was bad. But I mean, like he thinks he's in the right and you're right. That is the mark of, of good villain writing. Like I, I, I always point back to, um, daredevil season. I think it was one or two where they explore Kingpin's background. And, all of a sudden, like, your take on the show is completely different because damn if you don't have the feels for Kingpin. And that makes things a lot more complicated. I don't know. Overall, it was it was good. I had a good time. It was very different than WandaVision. Between the two, I liked WandaVision better just because it was so weird and different. And they were doing strange stuff, which I kind of appreciated more. But I'm not saying Falcon and the Winter or Yeah, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's not bad at all. I, I, I had a good time while I was watching it, but... You know, I, I think I think we can't talk about it yet, though. Spoilers and stuff. Because I'm, I'm mad about one of the characters. It makes me sad. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's move along. Let's move along. Spoilers. It's too soon, I think. Sorry about that. Speaking of HBO Max, Jonathan, I see... I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I need to because we only have it for a month. The, the Mortal Kombat. How was that? Okay, so... Here's my short review on Mortal Kombat. I have watched it twice. Um, I watched it <laughs> once to preview... Well, no, l- listen, 
I watched it once to preview it because my 13-year-old wanted to watch it, and I wanted to make sure there wasn't anything too much in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second time we watched it together. So, is Mortal Kombat enjoyable? Oh, hell yes. Is Mortal Kombat good? Oh, hell no. <laughs> did I smile the whole damn time? Oh, hell yes. Afterwards, did I question some of my own decision-making processes in, in enjoying it as much as I did? Oh, hell yes. Do I regret it? Oh, hell no, and I can't wait for the sequel. Yeah, that seems to be the common theme of people who've watched it. They're, they say... Look, there, there are flashes of brilliance in this, make no mistake. Like, there are moments in that film, especially the opening seven minutes, which, uh, no spoiling spoilers at all, because it's actually been released as uh, uh, something you can watch on YouTube. Uh, but the the opening seven minutes sets up the conflict between... I almost said Ryu, that's terrible. But the conflict between Scorpion and Sub-Zero, and it is brilliant. Like, what a way to open a movie. So, so good. And actually, that, that Scorpion-Sub-Zero relationship is kept throughout the film and is, I think, the best part of the film, like, by far. No, all right, um, all right. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll, oh, it's I'll totally to... worth a watch. It's totally worth a watch. And you're going to have fun, and there's a ton of fan service in there. And if you're a fan of the games, you're going to be sitting there going, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Uh, that said, that the the new character that they added specifically for the film was just it just doesn't need to exist and just cut it like that was just silly. That was a dumb decision. There are plenty, plenty of characters in the universe that could have um, could have totally, totally, totally filled that void. Uh, additionally, let me just go ahead and say I'm a fan of the word. I love that word. It is one of my most favorite words in you know. You know, it's funny you're saying that you're a fan of this word. And I'm going to have to bleep it every time you yeah. say it. So can I'm not going like, to say it, but but listen to me. Listen to no, me. No, you just said the, the F word. You, I know. I said the, it then, but I'm not going to say it again unless okay, I do. But you got to say I'm case. a fan of the F word because then Will I don't have to you shut the bleep f- up and let me talk? <laughs> I love you, boo. <laughs> I just wanted to say it again just to give you something else to beep. Uh, but but I love that word. I love that word. It's a wonderful word. It's flexible. It really kind of gets to the heart of the matter relatively quickly most of the time. I'm a fan. And and there's 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 plenty of movies that, that live and breathe the F word in an amazing way. I mean, like, please look at Quentin Tarantino's entire catalog to see uh, the F word Actually, the, the, the movie we're going to talk about, No Time to Bond, is a good example, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. They embrace <laughs> the F word in a beautiful way. Uh, but you know what? It, it It never feels forced, right? Like, it's always natural. Right, right. Okay, but not that but, movie. Back to but, Mortal Kombat. But back to Mortal Kombat, one of the biggest problems is the script, by far. Like, the script is a hot, hot, a hot mess. Like, the, the story beats are good, but whoever wrote the dialogue really just needs a kick to the gooch. Just stop. That's not your calling. Maybe we should try something else for you. There's, there are other careers. If um, you can it's, do it's anything, the, do what? that. <laughs> it's that line <laughs> from uh, Californication. Yeah. If you can do anything else, do that thing. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, it's one of the few times where I've been sitting in the movie and, and it's so bracing when the characters curse because it doesn't feel natural. Like, there's, there's only one that I can think of with Jax that, that even remotely feels natural. Otherwise, it's like saying it for the sake of saying it. I, I don't know how else to put it. It's like, it's like if you gave curse words to somebody that never cursed in their entire life, somebody who's, who is very pious by nature... And, and said, okay, properly use these words and sentences. And they're like, well, I, you know, I think it's like this. I don't know how else to describe it. It just, 
nothing feels natural about it. And you can tell the actors are struggling with the with the uh, the delivery too. Maybe it's like uh, Troll Two, where the guy whoever wrote it wasn't like English wasn't their first language and just insisted that the script be done. I don't know. All I know is that it's it's the only time I've ever seen the F word be bracing in a movie, not because of its usage, but because it just feels so unnatural. It's like it's like they were enamored with the F word in in an unhealthy way and didn't know how to implement it in basic dialogue. Intriguing. Kano was an interesting character. I mean, he's basically a caricature of toxic masculinity, and that makes it funny. But at the same time, everything he says is rancidly offensive. It's really funny. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. It's worth the watch, man. You're going to have a good time with Scorpion. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I, gonna I, have a, I need to. You're going to have a good time with Kano. You're going to have a good time with the fan service. You're going to wonder why the hell this other character was even added. And um, yeah, you'll marvel at the, the improper usage of the F word. It's, it's amazing. Fair enough. So I was on the uh, the Delta Green Reddit, and somebody uh, posted this Hulu series called Sasquatch, and their exact thread was as the uh, game master of players who have literally covered something up with a Sasquatch murder. I feel compelled to watch this, and I'm like, well, now you've got my attention, sir. So I went and watched it. It's a three <laughs> well, you part- had my curiosity, yeah. <laughs> but now now you have my attention. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a three part documentary series on the Hulu about uh, this guy who's like a, a true he, he's, he's a writer for stuff. He does crime writing. And basically he was working on a weed farm in Northern California, circa 1993. And he sort of vaguely remembers this day or this night where uh, this neighbor farmer came over and said that a Bigfoot had murdered three of his guys out in the field and like torn them limb from limb. And so he kind of decides like, I need to get to the bottom of this. And so what starts is like a Bigfoot documentary where I'm like, did Bigfoot murder people? This is awesome. And the first episode, like I literally had to go close my window. Cause like the thought of a Bigfoot watching me was starting to creep me out. <laughs> it's what you get for living in the Pacific Northwest. Right. So, but, but then it was brilliant, man. It was All doing, I have like, to the- worry about is the chupacabra. It was doing the prestige. Bigfoot was the prestige. I was looking there. And then by like halfway through the second episode, I'm like, this is a deep dive into the underground, you know, pot farming culture of, you know, Northern California circa the mid nineties and just how awful it was and the war on drugs. And it's getting really into the weeds of of stuff. And then every so often they're like, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. I'm like, oh, Bigfoot. And then, and then they go back into the weeds. And by the end, he kind of figures out who probably did it, which was this like (laughs) hell's angel guy or something. But it was such a weird documentary because it really started out with like, you know, like the History Channel, like aliens, you know, it was like it was Bigfoot. And then by the end, it's like, yeah, the war on drugs was terrible and, and it does all these things and everybody got really violent and all the hippies left. And I'm like, I like I know so much about farming pot circa 1993 to 1997 in that area now. It's it's kind of hysterical. Oh, and, and, and fun fact, uh, back then it was highly illegal and people would use national forests to farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, like just in terms of context, like there is a lot of really weird and interesting history there. Yeah, so like I said, if uh, I, I just spoiled the big twist for you, I apologize for that, but it's actually worth a watch because the, the Bigfoot stuff in the, the beginning is kind of fun. And then, yeah, it, it turns into this really kind of gritty true crime thing <laughs> about halfway through, and you're like, what? Well, I, I'm now I'm watching this and I'm still captivated. So, yeah, good on that guy for, for reeling me in with the Bigfoot stuff. It's called Sasquatch. It's on the Hulu. Jonathan, you're next. 
So, uh, Love, Death, and Robots season two got announced. So I rewatched season one, and not just announced. I think it's like coming out real soon. It's yeah, exciting. real soon, real soon. And I, I gotta tell you, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed that sh- series. Like, what, what a brilliant little series of shorts those were. Just amazing. yeah, it was nice. Like the weakest one, I at the weakest was one like was five was great. Yeah, like the weakest one was like a five. It like wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't even bad. You know, it was like actually it was above five. It was like five and a half. You know, it was above average. It was like, yeah, that was a good episode. And then like, but that was like the worst one. And all the other ones were, and some were just plain brilliant. Like some were tens. And the funny part about that show, Jonathan, is like, I really like certain episodes that you hated. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's, that's some one of the coolest things that it does. Like it speaks to so many different types of viewers. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Because I, I liked uh, the the blue one. The, the what is this called the blue one the one about the robot and the pool i didn't hate that one but it was just kind of meh oh no but i loved that one i thought that one was great i thought and the three I, robots one was hysterical that one was pretty good i thought the the witness one about the lady that watched a murder like it held the note too long like ultimately the story pays off and i'm not 100 percent sure why she was naked most of it but yeah one of my favorites is Suits. I thought Suits was great. I really enjoyed Sucker of Souls. I thought that was like basically Hellboy Part Two. <laughs> Are you talking about when the yogurt took over? No, I'm not talking about when the yogurt turned over. That was a weird one. That was a weird. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it was stupid. I really liked the Beyond the Akala Rift. That one was great. Yeah, yeah. The Good Hunting one was creepy. That was the one about the the shapeshifter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love the dump. I thought that Zima Blue. Zima Blue. That's the one I Zima really Blue. liked. Oh, yeah. That's the 14th episode. Yeah, that one was... I, I enjoyed it, but like seven and a half, eight. Oh, I thought it was a 10. But here's here's the funny part. And I'm, I'm really... Even though the next season is only going to be eight episodes, which is very sad compared to the 18 of the first season. Uh, I really liked... It played differently for everybody. You know that? Like based off of yeah, the algorithm. Yeah, that was cool too. Yeah. It showed you ones that thought you would like better. And so Zima Blue was like near the time. It was the second episode. Which is funny because it showed me um, it showed me Suits first, which I ended up probably watching the most out of all of them. I love that one. That was a super fun one. (laughs) Yeah. Alternate histories was kind of forgettable. Ultimately, it it didn't feel like it felt the tone of the rest of the project, you know? Yeah, but that's what's good about anthology. You can kind of experiment. The Secret War I loved. And my God, like the technology on display there, those Character models look so good. So what about the, the 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 Russian soldiers from World War Two battling the? It's like the alternate history one where they're basically battling vampires. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That one was. I dope. need to watch that show again. Watch them all again. I'd love to discuss it with you again in preparation for season uh, two. Um, yeah. I'm, and here's hoping we get another. Um, Lucky 13, because I love that one. I thought that one was fun. <laughs> the one about the, the, the pilot that was, you know, basically like um, taking your dropship out again. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that one. Well, Jonathan, speaking of, of interesting cinema, I watched Mutant, a.k.a. Forbidden World. Have you have you heard of either of those movies? It's not Forbidden Planet, the no. sci-fi classic. It's Forbidden World. Okay. Okay. So this is what happened. I was on a Wikipedia spiral uh, a couple weeks ago. From 1982? Yeah. How did I miss this? Oh, it's great. How did I miss this? This is brilliant. (laughs) So as the story goes, 
Roger Corman gave this guy a chance to direct a movie. And he said, film me the beginning of a movie. Uh, here's some sets. Here's some stuff. Just go. You have a guy with a robot suit. And so he films this like opening of a guy waking up from cryo sleep and shooting down guys. And Corman liked it, said, okay, make the rest of the movie. I've always wanted to do Lawrence of Arabian Space. So the guy writes Lawrence of Arabian Space. Corman says, that's way too, uh, that's way too expensive to, to film. Just give me an alien ripoff. And he's like, okay. So he makes an alien ripoff. So fun part one, the first like five, 10 minutes of it have like nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And it feels really weird. And the guy, the main character is the same, but his hair changes a little bit, which is kind of fun. Hashtag reshoots. The other part that was interesting was the guy who was directing it and wrote it kind of realized that this was, you know, it was an aliens ripoff. So he kind of made it darkly humorous, supposedly. And so during a test screening, as the story goes, People were laughing hysterically, and Roger Corman was hating it. He was hating it so much that people were laughing at this great film, and he, he loathed it. And he was getting re- he he made him like edit it and edit a lot of the the quote unquote humor out. And he was yelling at the director, and some Yahoo was like you know guffawing next to him. And apparently, he, Corman got so mad he hit the guy in the back of the head as hard as he could, and you know told him to stop laughing. And so Corman's out in the lobby, you know, giving the director a new one, telling him how we're going to go into the editing bay. We're going to cut all this crap out. And then the guy who he hit goes up on the balcony, takes his big giant soda and dumps it on uh, Corman's head for hitting him. I kind of had that coming. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remembered that story. And then I was and then so and the Wikipedia mentioned that the DVD release circa 2010 had the original cut on it because the director made a copy of it on a VHS tape and it shows uh, of his original vision of it. And I remember watching this movie uh, when I was a kid and I was kind of curious about it. And I'm like, you know what? You know what? If I can get my hands on that, maybe I should. Now, think about buying the DVD, but then it occurred to me, Jonathan, I should check if the library has it. And indeed they did. So I watched Mutant, the original cut of Forbidden World. And uh, I don't get what the big deal was because there were there were jokes in it, but they were a little lame. Like I I, I only caught one of them, <laughs> and the other ones just kind of went in there seamlessly. I don't know, but me and Gina had a good time. We watched this crappy crappy movie, and yes, that's real bad. And uh, we watched the beginning of it in Blu-ray and. <laughs> the blu-ray cut it's so funny because i was watching the really bad potato quality like vhs version of it and i'm like wow these sets look pretty good and and you know like a lot of the production value because it was all like reused sets from battle from beyond the stars or something i'm like wow these aren't bad and it was actually like there's a corridor set that james freaking cameron that james cameron built uh back when he was working Mm -hmm. for corman and I was like, this is kind of rad. And then we watched the high-definition Blu-ray version. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Man, <laughs> that, let me tell that's you. That's that terrible. Let oh, my God. You, in the 70s and 80s and even somewhat into the 90s, they were not ever thinking that HD was going to be a thing. No, they were not. Man, does that show. Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, you don't have to go out of your way to get the... Uh, the director's cut i think it is called mutant on amazon so maybe it is the director's cut if it looks like it was made on a potato then that is the director's cut and if it doesn't then it's not uh you're not missing much it's like six minutes of dialogue nah, who doesn't love a potato yeah 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 it's so weird like i told you i think um when i when i first got the uh the blu-ray copies of the star wars trilogy the original Mm-hmm. And you watch them like you can clearly see where the matte paintings end. You can even see the brush strokes in the matte paintings, and it just like breaks so much. Oh wow, good times, good good times. 
Yeah. Anyway, no, watch it on Amazon Prime. And realized what what technology would do. That's why it's so amazing when you find a movie that really really holds up, like um, the thing, except for the puppet strings. Like that. That's the thing that breaks it. Well, anyway, Jonathan, I dare you. I double dog dare you. Watch Mutant slash Forbidden World on the Amazon Prime. I if think you remind me this week, I will watch it. Okay. Okay. It's it's real bad, Jonathan. It's real bad. It's you kind of enjoyably bad. Good, bad movie. <laughs> All right, what else you got? Uh, I forgot to mention that when um, watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, I decided to go back and watch Captain America Winter Soldier, that uh, the the first movie that Winter Soldier was featured in. And Oh, my gosh, it, that movie's great. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, you, you forget just how taut of a thriller it is. Like, just so well done. So, I forgot to put this on my list. I watched the first two episodes of True Detective. Because uh, why, Jonathan? Season one? Oh, season one. that's good stuff. You know why? Yellow, Yellow King. King. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Like, uh, I was not nearly up on my Yellow King lore uh, when I first watched. I didn't even know it was about the Yellow King until he said it in the second episode. I'm like, oh, my God. So watching it from the beginning, I was catching a lot of stuff. Like, I caught the yellow sign in that in that show. It's the spiral. That's totally the yellow sign. And then just all the the various references and stuff. I was just like, Yee! and like, I there's this one character uh, in the. Uh, the hillbilly brothel that they go to in Louisiana and she had neck tattoos that were black stars. And I'm like, Oh, there's the black stars. This is all, this is all related. I'm like, that's clever. So they did a good job. If you're up on your chambers, you can, you can spot a lot of Easter eggs. So that was fun. I'm, I'm debating whether or not I need to finish up the series. I watched the first two and I, I don't know if I'm done or not. Uh, it dude, it's so good. It's so, so good. Also, See I'd like, uh, oh. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what else you got? Now, the last thing on my list was I uh, rewatched Kong Skull Island. Oh, you mean the last good uh, Monsterverse kaiju movie? Yes, yes. Getting that little taste. That little taste was enough to make me want the whole kit and caboodle, so I went back and watched a good one. And man, <laughs> that movie, that movie's aging gracefully. That movie is aging so well because it is everything a monster movie needs to be without all the excess BS, and it's just so enjoyable like you it's just a good time and i love the whole captain ahab thing that they have going with uh with sam jackson's character and i love just like the way it's shot is beautiful just just everything about it is great and it never ever commits the sin of not showing you what's going on don't go rewatch the born identity oh my god the shaky cam you just don't even realize what's going on anymore Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm mm-hmm It's good stuff. So, so good. All right. So my final thing is Ray told me to watch this YouTube series called Pitch Meeting, and I did, and it's great. That's all I got to say about it. I need to watch that. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's just one guy, and he plays every character, and he does a really good job, and he plays like a writer pitching a movie to a producer, and it's very meta, and they they pick apart movies, you know, or he picks apart movies, and it's, it's good times. Like during the the episode where he's pitching Star Wars and and the, they're both wearing very bad seventies wigs, <laughs> you know he's he's like it's like like the, the the producer will ask him a question. It's like oh that that the the Clone Wars that seems like an interesting plot point. Are, are we ever going to get back to that? He's like maybe in thirty years. <laughs> 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 and he has catchphrases, and the like catchphrases that. have entered me and Gina's vernacular because we've been watching so many of them. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. And if I say one here, I'm trying to figure out how to work one in, but we'll see if I can make it happen naturally, because it has to happen naturally. And I'm done. That's all I've watched. 
All right. Well, I think that uh, does that bring us to the end? The end of movies, man. We haven't done anything yeah. else. It's been 43 minutes of recording. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the reason I we brought up movies first was because I, from a video game perspective, um, I have been playing a metric ton of Mortal Kombat again. Nice. Yeah. Um, a, I replayed through the entire story mode. And let me just tell you, so good. They need to take the writers, the two writers from the game, the, the last couple games, and they're the ones that need to be writing the script for the next film. <laughs> don't give nice. it back to, I don't know how to use the F word guy, and just give it to these guys. They are pros. They know what's up. They know how to make a good Mortal Kombat experience. That's the one. That's what we want. Uh, I started playing City Skylines again, and I got off a of sandbox mode finally, and I started playing with money, and I was disappointed because playing with money is not that hard. I'm like, why have I been afraid of this this whole time? Like, <laughs> well, you also know the systems of the game much better. That's true. Although uh, somebody told me the secret. I was watching a video, and someone said, set the taxes at 12%. Nobody complains too much, and you make enough money. And sure enough, boom, that was it. <laughs> I just set the taxes. That's the sweet spot? That's the sweet spot, 12%. Been... Chug along in Jurassic World Evolution again. It's so good times. And, so good times. And then today, Jonathan, was day 150 of my Ring Fit Adventure. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. I've got like a two-pack now. It's kind of fun. I've never been that fit in my core. It's good times. There you go. It's all those my dad bot is receding, which is nice. And I'm done. What's your last game? Oh, yeah. So there was a big, big, big update to DCS World, and they redid the way that the game uh, handles clouds. And two things happened. Number one, they're now volumetric and ultra realistic, like to the point where you you look out the window of the plane and you're like, wow, like I've, I've ridden on plays. This is exactly what it looks like. That's amazing, uh, especially the storm clouds and stuff. And the second thing that they did was they made the clouds um, server side versus um, client side. And that means that when you're flying, and more importantly, when you're dogfighting, everybody's clouds are the same. And that's huge, because before, everything was handled by the client side, and that meant that you might you know, try and, and break somebody's line of sight by flying into a cloud deck that they don't have. And that, that, that was problematic. I could see that. So, yeah, that, that fixes a major, major issue with it, and it's, it's a super cool addition. Like, I'm, I'm so impressed. And... Man, that game looks gorgeous. Absolutely stunning. Nice. Yeah, let's head on over to the books. I'm still working my way through Galaxy's Edge. I'm completely addicted to the series. And because there has not been a new Expeditionary Force, uh, I think the next one comes out next month. It's kind of been nice to sink my teeth into a new series. So it's been all um, Galaxy's Edge. I finished the one that I was working on in the last episode, which was um, uh, Attack of the Shadows. And I'm now um, just about, I'm on the last chapter of Imperator. Um, and uh, like I mentioned uh, previously, there's two timelines available on the series website. And, and you really want to choose the one that they, they suggest, which is the maximum suspense. You know what's funny? Uh, my wife, uh, Ron Moore, who did Battlestar Galactic and all that, he's making a TV show of a young adult series which my wife got interested in because she likes young adult series for some reason. So she's been reading it and they do the same thing. There's two different ways to read it. There's the, the high tension way. And then there's the like linear way. And she's reading it the high tension way and having a really good time. And I'm like, is this a thing? Like, I've never heard of this before. And now, now there's like two things in media that are doing it. It's bizarre. Well, let me tell you it going the high tension way. 
there are a couple times where you're like, well, you know, like, why am I bouncing 2000 years in the timeline from time to time? Um, but then when you get to the payoff, you're like, holy crap. Now I get it. I mean, it's just um, it's really, really good. All right. Well, I finally, after long, long time, finished up the new tales of the yellow sign by uh, Robin Laws. And it was entertaining. Uh <laughs> The part I really liked is much like the the, uh, the book, The King in Yellow, randomly, uh, there was basically a story that had very little to do with anything Yellow King and was basically uh, a romance story. It was about a lady who was a manager at some sort of company and she meets an architect and they fall in love. And the only thing you would know is that the architecture they talk about is very strange for what we would we would have in our real world. And then like uh, one day while she's at work, these like bat-like bikies or whatever fly out of the clouds and, and everybody has to hide or else they're going to get eaten in the parking lot. And then after that, nothing. It's just this love story. And there's a, a story very much like that in the, uh, in chambers is the yellow King, which is, which is kind of hilarious. So I appreciate that. And, uh, then the other thing I read was, uh, Onyx path released the first PDF of the technocracy reloaded for mage, the Ascension 20th anniversary. And I read it and I was a little disappointed because the original version of that book like had a really good twist, but it's the kind of thing that only works once, which is basically the bad guys are not as bad as you think they are. Um, Because before that book, they were like mustache twirling, evil, like monolithic, awful people. And then after that book, it really, yeah, but that book (laughs) really explained their point of view. And it was like, you know, correct in a way, you know, so it was like it was good because it made them much murkier and, and gray, you know. Not that they're not going to be bad guys to the, the you know, traditions mages. But anyway, yeah, but it didn't have the same punch because you can't do that twist again. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. All right. That is our book. So now let's turn to RPGs and we have been playing Delta Green more. Yes. Yes. We finished part one of Impossible Landscapes. I am really enjoying that module a lot. It's it's shaping up into something really interesting. And there's just so... There's so much to it. Like, it's so dense. There's so much to investigate. I think we're going to talk about it more in depth, not next time, but the time after that. Yeah, I I don't necessarily need to go into any more detail, just that it's really neat. Cool. Yeah, I'm having a good time. As long as you're having a good time. Oh, man, I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time. You know what you need to do next time, Jonathan? Mm. If I I manage to kill your character and you need to replace him, don't make a character that's silent. I want to hear you talk more. I mean, I get I get your character broods, but you need to brood less. <laughs> I'm just playing the character. Like I'm, I'm I'm being very careful with every choice I make to make sure that it is within who he is. Right, and I agree. But I just I need to hear you more. I need to hear your your dulcet tones. I want to hear you more, Jonathan. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I get I get you're playing your character because you are. That's fine. I'm just saying less brooding. Next like time. if I ever don't make a decision that makes sense within the the terms of the character, I want to know. Yeah, no, no, I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you that. If if just broodless. You need you need you need someone chatty. Like 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 be Russ, you know? Like like be that guy who doesn't talk and then once he starts talking, he doesn't shut up. And he <laughs> talks about nihilism and stuff. All right, cool. So let's uh let's shotgun through these board games that we're also going to deep dive so not we're not going to talk about much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only so much I can say here, right? So I, I I will I will preface this segment as saying I have been almost exclusively playing games that are uh, being prepped for the show, and because of that, there are limits to what I can and cannot talk about because I don't want to ruin the um, the review. But uh, in no particular order, 
Um, we've actually already decided Tidal Blades is the next game that we'll be deep diving, and that will be in the next uh, episode. So I've been playing Tidal Blades uh, with a variety of different player counts because this is one of those games where player count has a, a pretty big impact. Yeah, you gave me a, a frantic game. text message one night. You're like, play this game with us. And I'm like, Gina took the day off to hang out with the family. I can't. And you were like, oh, you could. It's really good. You're going to like it. Okay. This is a game that I think you'll like a lot. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pencil us in for Sunday then. Yeah, I, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Um, and I, I'd like to talk to you about it when we deep dive it. So, yeah, yeah. please. Yeah, please. yeah, yeah. No, I want I want to play it. You, 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 yes, you've convinced me. Um, the one game that we can't talk about in more detail, if you want, is Undaunted, even though we just deep dove it last, or what, two episodes ago? Yes. Last episode? Yeah. yeah no, no, episodes. no. Last episode, the deep dive was boot. Two episodes ago. Okay, two episodes ago. Oh, so we didn't. So we haven't done welcome. To no, it I couldn't salvage. I couldn't salvage welcome to it. Sucked. <laughs> it's so su- we should redo that in a couple episodes. Yes, we can redo that in a couple okay. episodes. So um, yeah, Undaunted continues to impress. It is so friggin' good. It is so 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 good. Um, there's so m- much tactical depth to what seems like such a shallow experience at first. It, it's really impressive. Nice. Say no more. I want to. I want to play that too. But I guess we gotta play Title Blades first. So that's higher up on my list. Uh, I picked up a, an interesting game called Hadrian's Wall uh, because we've been playing so much Welcome To, and I thought that was an interesting formula. Um, this is another one of those um, you're trying to basically fill in your score sheet type games. Yeah. But it is not dice-based. It, too, is card-based uh, and action-based, um, worker placement-based. So it, it there's a lot of... It's all about building combos, and, and that's where I'm going to stop talking about it because it's really, really interesting, and we'll be deep diving that in a couple of episodes. Cool. I also picked up a single-player game on the um, uh, on the advice of a friend of mine called Warp's Edge, and it's from Scott Alms, uh, who you might know from all the Tiny Epic games. Yeah. And it is specifically designed to be a single-player experience, which I thought would be interesting because we don't talk about that a lot on the show so i will be uh i've got one playthrough of that in and i'm i'm very interested i want to see where it shapes up after multiple playthroughs uh lots of welcome to with you and the other folks we've talked about that on the show at infinitum and we do have that scheduled for a deep dive in the relatively near future uh and then finally i picked up uh unmatched i found a copy on sale of the core game and then because i'm a sucker i bought um uh, the Jurassic Park release. <laughs> nice. Because who doesn't want to, you know, have raptors as your unmatched characters? So I'll let you know about that one. Uh, it's really, it's there's some neat stuff going on there. I'm, I'm really quite impressed. Cool. All right. Yeah, so that's board games for me. How about for you? Other than welcome to. And there we are. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> that's it. We're done. Well, that brings us to the end. Of our off-the-shelf segment, which means it is time for a short break, but when we get back, it will be time for Wisdom of Crowds. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. 
Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And, um... Woo! The news tide is out. We are out in a desert, and I am parched. There is no news on the horizon, man. Which There's is like weird, because, like, nothing. normally this time of year, we'd be, like, in the... Origins would have happened by now? Yeah. And we'd be in the, the run-up to Gen Con. There'd be a ton of news. Although, no, maybe maybe everybody has announced everything already, and now we're just kind of waiting for it to come out at Gen Con. I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know. We, we, we shall see. Uh, but for now, it is fair to say that... Um not a whole lot to talk about. So let's talk about the four that we do have, though. Woo! You want to get us started? Because I know this is exciting. I think I sent this to you, didn't I? Uh, I I found it on Twitter, actually. Oh, I, I think you sent it to me, too. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd already seen it, though, so I was already excited. But yes, Jonathan Goldstein, a.k.a. Sweets from the old TV show Bones, uh, he has tweeted out that the D&D movie has begun filming. Heck Yeah. And he tweeted out in the best way possible. His tweet was just a picture of the slate, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever. And and he said, the campaign has begun. And I'm like, oh, yeah. That is dope. Stuff. Urgh, that got me right where I needed it. Urgh. So, yes. Well, here's hoping that it, well, here's just, here's hoping. Yeah. A lot of history to overcome there. Yeah, yeah. And I liked I, I've the directing duo. I've seen one of their other films, uh, the, the remake of Vacation, which I actually I thought was funny. They also did that Game Night uh, movie with uh, that was Bateman. actually funny. That was surprisingly funny. Okay, and, okay. and competent. Should I put that on my list? I'll watch that. Is it worth a watch? Do. I wouldn't mind watching it again. Huh. Okay. Okay. I'll see where that's streaming. Anyway, your turn, sir. Uh, WizKids has announced a new worker placement game. This one is set in Japan. Designed by Kevin Crosby, it is called Jinja, J-I-N-J-A. <laughs> nice. Two to five players, 12 and up. Um, apparently it plays in about an hour. Uh, and what you do is you are building a bunch of shrines across Japan and uh, completing cards. I believe they're called Omikuji cards. Sorry, my Japanese is a little non-existent. And you're trying to collect the most honor by the end of the five seasons that make up the rounds of the game. Okay. So there's a little bit of worker placement, a little bit of area control, uh, um, um, and uh, a little bit of building. So it's a, a neat little mix of stuff. And, man, I got to tell you, like, WizKids, you know, um, Zev from Z-Man Games went to go work there, and uh, he's heading up their game department now. And, man, they're putting out some interesting, interesting stuff. One of the games I'd like to to deep dive eventually is Flotilla, which I've got sitting here. I think we talked about it a little when I first got it because I did get a chance to get a play in, and uh, yeah, I think it it's a, it would be a really interesting game for deep diving. Groovy, groovy, I like it. So that will be released. Um, well, the the press release says April twenty twenty one, but I did just check in with my local um, FLGS and it had not come in yet. So um, I would say in the uh, immediate to near future. 
I don't think we covered it because uh, I think this was in our long dark tea time of the soul when you had the Ronas and the the Texas Freeze. Wizard or Hasbro reorganized its corporate structure and put things in new spots and whatnot. One of the one of the weirdnesses was they took Avalon Hill out of Wizards, which I thought was weird. Um, and I, I forget. I, I think they just gave it gave it to the board game division. Which is fair. They weren't really doing anything with the property. But digital gaming and then just Wizards of the Coast became the Wizards of the Coast division. So huzzah. And they announced that the WotC division of Hasbro is responsible for 75% of their corporate profits. 75. That's kind of impressive. With like just wow. digi- digital magic sales, D&D, and Magic the Gathering. Like that is mostly their profit right now. Gaming's big, and that's cool. And I just wanted to share that with everybody. I thought that was neat. And that's it, John. Gaming is, like, both board gaming and video gaming are huge right now. Like, yeah, it's they, like they, it's they like are, we're all trapped at home. They were tailor-made for pandemics, apparently. All right, well, next up, we have uh, Asmodee making a, an agreement to distribute the English-language version of a game that actually first came out in Kickstarter, what, three four years ago and that is plague inc based on the plague inc phone game that came out uh, a number of years ago. oh yeah yeah yeah. so I as start, doubling down that again. on plagues with uh, of course the pandemic series uh now they are uh, bringing us plague inc and the uh first expansion which is uh plague inc armageddon so if you've never played plague inc um it's a combination of um virus building where you are basically uh, trying to unlock the ability to um, mutate your virus, which is handled with cards and and um, purchasing, kind of like tableau building. I, I was in on the Kickstarter. I played it. It was fun. Like it was it was decent decent enough fun. I couldn't get anybody else in the house hooked on it though. So I, it's been like two years since I played it, but it was fun. What's What's weird to me is it's just so much longer, or it's been so long since the the Kickstarter. You know, like it's really yeah. Weird. Yeah, yeah, Hold that on. is weird. Now this is bug- bugging me. Yeah, the original Kickstarter was 2016. Wow, that's the long, long ago. Yeah, it's just like out of nowhere. Like, let's bring it back, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it, I guess maybe it's topical. Yeah, I can see that. That's it. We're done. That is the news. Yeah. The slow, yeah. slow, dry desert of a news. Yeah, yeah. Which just gives us more time to wet our lips with a little bit of no time to bond. Welcome, my friends, to part 26 of our 30-part series, No Time to Bond, where we are watching all of the 007 movies in order and a few additional movies by their release date. So this time, at the suggestion of listener Brendan, we are watching 2015's Spy, a movie which, when it came out, Robert, I avoided because... It just didn't seem like it would be good. <laughs> Frankly. Uh, 2015, so that was five years ago. Uh, the store was still... Six open. years ago. Yeah, the store was still open at that point, so seeing movies was hard. That's my only excuse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like I, I watched the trailer, wasn't enamored with it, and um, let me be the first to say um, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's great. And now let's talk about it. Directed by Paul Figg, it was made for $65 million, and it took in uh, $235.7 million, which, by our standards right now, isn't a great haul. But then again, they didn't like release it in China or anything, because comedies don't do well uh, outside territories that really kind of have the same... 
And well, it was it's, rated R, right? Oh, yeah, it was rated R. Yeah. It was oh, an my R-rated God. It was rated comedy that made a quarter of a billion dollars. That in and of itself is pretty huge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, where do we begin with this one? I, I, I feel obligated to say this. It's not a parody. Yes. Uh, so yeah. get that out of your head right away, because when I saw the, the trailer, that's what I thought. I thought it was another parody. I thought it was going to be another Johnny English. I was horrified. I went screaming from whatever device it was that I watched the trailer on, and that was the end of it. And I put it away until Brendan said it was good. And Brendan's a, a professor of zombology, so I, he, his, his opinion carries weight. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my only disappointment with it. I was hoping for a spy parody because I, I we've been talking like there's room out there for a good spy parody because Austin Powers only got it about half right. And I was hoping this would be it, but it's not. It's not a it parody. It got it all right for the late 90s. It just didn't get it all right for 2021. Well, yeah, they just didn't talk enough about the Bond half of it. Like Dr. Evil was perfect, but yeah, the other half of the movie was not had problems. Anyway, I was hoping this would be it, but no, this is just more like an action comedy. Like, it's not a parody. It plays the spy stuff fairly straight. It's definitely more of a comedy. It, it is, without a doubt. And in that respect, I mean, it's friggin' funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I laughed fun. hard. Did you watch the unrated loud, version? I don't, yeah. Did you, oh, my God. Oh, I was Woo-hoo. not. I did not expect the amount of... Uh, phalluses. Like, like was, yeah. Like, oh, my. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Cut oh that my out. God. We shouldn't say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there were mighty phalluses yeah. <laughs> in this one. Yeah, because a bad guy gets a camera, and what does the scumbag do <laughs> when he gets a camera? <laughs> Send nudes. <laughs> but yeah, oh. Apparently, in the uh, the normal cut, they they show everybody's reactions, but they don't actually show the pictures. But. God well, bless them, they made the pictures. Cut, boy, you get it. <laughs> Front and center. <laughs> oh, man, there's some forced perspective going on there, too. Good <laughs> Lord. I, I do have to say, one of the first things that strikes me about this movie, Robert, is it was obviously a fun set to be on because, my God, everybody just seems like they're having a great time. Jason Statham was friggin' amazing. Oh, oh my Did God. not he realize the he show. had the comedy chops. He stole the show. Every time he was on, it was just, it was... And, and what's great is he's basically lampooning every other role he's ever played. That's the funniest part. Oh, I, I can't tell you how much I respect when a actor, like, take it, takes the piss out of themselves. Like, that that's my favorite thing to watch, because some actors get really too, like, I, you know, I'm... I am <laughs> William Shatner in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, it's one of the reasons I decided I liked NSYNC in the mid-aughts, I think, because they were on an episode of The Simpsons, and they were they were the joke in, in every scene they were in. You know, like, they picked on themselves <laughs> hard. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I still don't like their music, but you know what? NSYNC is okay in my book because they did that. And this is the same thing. Like, Jason Statham, like, you would think, I mean, just bald-headed white dude, kind of masculine like you think he'd be a gigantic a-hole but no man he was he was just ripping himself to shreds and i I was dying he stole that show every time he was in it comedic timing was amazing yeah yeah and i'm like were those rants like did he ad-lib those or were those written i don't know but they i'm pretty sure he must have ad-libbed them like because they're amazing (laughs) if if they were pre-written that is some of the best writing in comedy I've ever seen in my entire life. But it, it felt more like an ad lib. It felt so natural. He was the only part that was a parody, actually. First off, a lot of things he says he did as in his work as a spy <laughs> were, were, were just his movies. Like, you know, it's like, one time I had to use defibrillators on myself. 
But then some of his other ones. He basically were... gives us the IMDb self descriptive. <laughs> but then the the one that stuck with me is like you. I've seen things that you wouldn't you wouldn't even comprehend. I saw my fiance thrown out of a plane, and then she was hit midair by another plane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just, it made me think of uh, poor Tracy in uh, uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service because that that is such a way for like you know a Bond girlfriend to like die or something you know just like oh <laughs> that part was so good I I oh god every time man Jason Statham was amazing yeah, uh, no, I I didn't was... know I didn't know I'll go watch I'll go watch one of the Fast and the Furious movie it's the spinoff with the Rock right Oh actually... yeah now I do want to watch that really badly Yeah yeah and I I've only seen the first one <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I'm like oh okay Jason Statham's funny I'll go watch that one Hey <laughs> <laughs> I... My favorite is when he's sitting there looking at her and she's wearing her disguise and he says something about, we have to stop the sale of a nuclear bomb and they send someone who looks like Santa Claus's effing wife. (laughs) (laughs) I've jumped from a high-rise building using only a raincoat and a parachute. (laughs) (laughs) This arm has been ripped off completely. <laughs> I replaced it with this other arm, and it's like I don't think that works like that. Oh my god! Like the uh, whole thing is just ridiculous. I drove a car off the freeway on top of the train while I was on fire. That that was a Fast and the Furious movie. Not the car. I was on. This <laughs> is just amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, and and going back to an earlier segment, there the use of the f bomb in this movie is is spectacular. It, it's it's liberal, but always natural, <laughs> and more importantly, expertly deployed with venom, malice, and and just the perfect integration into an otherwise benign sentence. <laughs> God bless their use of the f word. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, true story. So I found out uh, her, Melissa McCarthy and Paul Fink did a, a, another movie together previous to this with the Sandra Bullock, no less. It's called The Heat. And and I, I, I've i got that on hold at the library. I'm yeah. Like, now okay. I kind of want to watch that, too. Yeah, because it's an FBI agent and uh, a cop, uh, a New York cop who is I think that's Melissa McCarthy's character have to team up to do something. And, and Sandra, you know, is the prim and proper FBI agent. And then, you know, the New York cop, the foul mouthed New York cop is uh, Melissa. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> As a entry into the series, I don't think it adds much to the conversation of Bond uh, personally, although, you know, points for getting the opening credits and the theme song correct. Like that was, that was they got the look correct too. And yeah, and the color palette. And I know that seems like a weird thing, but like that was one thing that Austin Powers did not do well is it didn't capture that aspect of Bond. Yeah, and you know what? Like just watching Paul uh, Figs Fegs, I don't know how to say his name. His 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 use of shots was actually really really good too cuz usually Bond movies get really good directors, you know, who can shoot things decently, at least some oh, no, of the better ones can. Shot really well. Lot, yeah. Nothing so close that you you always knew what was going on. It was really well edited too. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. Like I, I was really impressed with the the production value because that's another thing. Uh, both Johnny English and Austin Powers they were not directed well. They were directed okay. Okay, Austin Powers was directed okay, but like this was directed really good. Like this really felt like a Bond movie, like a spy thriller because they just got all the angles right too. Yeah, you you'd never know that his specialty is is comedic direction because like this 
movie is put together like a genuinely well done action movie. Yeah, it's a great comedy. It's a very competent action thriller. It's got a lot of people kind of playing against type. Uh, I really, really appreciated uh, Jude Law trying to do an American accent. It was his accent was yeah, terrible. The, the irony was not lost on me that he plays the traditional super spy uh, with an American accent, but he is British, and it's basically like supposed to be Bond. That was the funniest. Part. And I actually I've heard him speak with an American accent in other movies. It's not that bad. So he was doing that kind of badly on purpose, <laughs> which yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. That That's a good choice. I like that. Jason Statham was great. Uh, uh, Allison Janney, who played the, the CIA boss, she was pretty funny, especially with her rants about pink eye. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never knew pink eye could be that funny. <laughs> but it's used to great effect in this in this in this film. Yeah, I don't I don't really have any complaint other than it didn't add much to our conversation with Bond. But other than that, it was a really, really good movie. Uh, it's probably one of the, the few I'd actually really recommend if you saw the preview and you're like, that looks stupid. It's like, no, it's actually pretty good. It's actually pretty good. Be careful. Unrated version has a lot of mighty phalluses. And I was not expecting that. I am really glad I decided to watch that when my daughter went to bed because, you know, I didn't even realize it was rated R. I just sort of assumed it was PG-13. <laughs> I didn't even look. <laughs> wow man i'm so glad i did not watch this in a place where the kids could watch it because i would have been like oh god (laughs) yes yes so oh man what what a surprise this movie was uh brandon thank you so much for yeah like i would have never come across this on my own it's a nice palate cleanser you know we've had a lot of kind of dark and Grim Dark series Bond movies and Do you know yeah. what it completely cancels out? One thousand hmm. percent. It cancels out Johnny English. Because dear God, what <laughs> Yeah, I'm still not done complaining about that. That movie was terrible. The British hatred of the French is still just mind boggling to me. Like they somebody was working out some issues in that film. <laughs> Good God. How about the fact that it was just bad? It was just everything about it was bad. <sighs> But everything about this was good. There wasn't a single scene where I wasn't laughing my ass off. Like, what a wonderful, 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 wonderful gift of a film. Yes, yes, agreed. Next time we're gonna we're gonna take another stab at Skyfall because that yeah, that Skyfall got obliterated. Take two point five. Yeah. <laughs> Long story short, our last recording had some issues. We did the deep dive into Skyfall, and the files were unrecoverable. And yeah, yeah. So. It's it's a shame. Well, you know what? No, it's not a shame. Skyfall is a very good movie. I'm actually not upset that I have I'm to not watch opposed it again. to watching it again. That is for that is for absolute 100 yeah. percent sure. But but I figured I figured we would do this first to kind of even though it's like out of order because it's not by release date technically. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just something because I didn't want to talk about Skyfall again so soon. That would make me sad. <laughs> oh man, now this just gives me an excuse to watch a movie again. Because it'll have been a month, and that movie is so damn good. Right, right. You know, a a good solid month, and we had this delightful thing in between to kind of palate cleanse so we can look at it again with fresh eyes, which I appreciate. So there you go. That's why we're doing it this way. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our No Time to Bond segment, which means, of course, we are hopping in our Wayback Machine as we look back 365 days ago in our Year in the Life segment. Forgot My Dice episode 85, Loopy Lightning. Uh, we did Zombicide Invader, and then Forgot My Dice episode 86, Reginald Vaughn Hippobottom. Uh, we reviewed Tabletop Simulator. I feel like Reginald Vaughn Hippobottom would be a Baron by now. Baron Vaughn Hippobottom? Baron Reginald Vaughn Hippobottom. Oh, sorry. 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 So let's see what we're talking. Oh, that's when I got Breath of the Wild. Wow. 
Yeah, it's been a year. That's crazy. Um, Zombicide Invader. I have not had a chance to get that out, um, which bums me out because I've got a bunch of the expansions and there's some cool stuff going on there. Like I need to, I need to get going with that. It's just, man, that thing's a table hog. And tabletop simulator. My goodness, like, yeah, yeah. We taught, we reviewed tabletop simulator in episode eighty six. I've been using the living daylights out of tabletop simulator these last few months. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. It's the only way to play. Yeah, it is the only way to play right now, uh, Rona. I, I gotta say, you know the, the the most one of the most interesting things that we've ever done on the podcast was when we played Scythe, the digital version, and then we played Scythe on Tabletop Simulator, and what what a drastic difference that was. Agreed. I mean, like all of us were bored with the with the app version of it, but then when we um, got on Tabletop Simulator, everybody was a hundred percent engaged and. The, the big difference there is nothing is automated for you. You're still interacting with the board game. You're still getting that that physicality aspect of it. And that that's really one of the things that makes Tabletop Simulator just so darn great. Like, you, you are still playing a board game with all the little fiddly components and everything. Yeah. What you said, only more so. I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, uh, Tabletop Simulator, best 20 bucks you'll ever spend. Without yeah. a doubt, if you're a board gamer. That that is it, essential kit. Uh the requirements to run it are negligible. And um yeah, like give us an excuse to play with regularly you. updated? Yeah, oh god, regularly. A thousand times regularly updated. And and a vibrant, vibrant community around it. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Also, you know what our no time to bond was in eighty six? The spy who loved me. Wow. Yeah, with Agent Triple X. <laughs> oh god uh i listened to that again every time i hear triple x all i can think of is stop thinking prog and start thinking playstation (laughs) god what a piece (laughs) that movie was oh and then 85 was the man with the golden gun oh christopher lee oh god i miss him so much i agree I agree. That man was a legend. In every way, shape, and form, that man was a legend. Well, that brings us to the end of our Year in the Life segment, which means it is the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment. We will be taking a short break, and when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive. And today, we are going deep into X-Files through RPG. Delta Green. Delta Green, the RPG. Totally not X-Files. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Not a smidge. Jerk. Totally is. You're a jerk. And I hate you. That's not true. You'd love no, me. I, I love you. It's true. Right. I play in character. You know that. I don't break the character. <laughs> not even in the okay. DVD commentary. <laughs> okay, I'm stopping this. <laughs> Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And 
welcome back for the break. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive. And in today's deep dive, we're going into the RPG world of the X-Files. Delta Green. The Delta Green X-Files. No. X-Files was about little gray men and, and government conspiracies. Not always. Remember this creepy one where the dude stretches his arm? Oh, yeah, Tombs? Down the- yeah. Yeah, man. Like, X-Files went all over the place. That was just kind of the core. Delta Green is nominally at least set in the cthulhu mythos sir so there, there is that difference x files never got too cthulhu it's the closest we got it's the closest you know it's funny delta green actually predates the x files by about a year <laughs> but it kind of goes to show what was in the cultural zeitgeist in the early to mid 90s well it's great it's fantastic let's get started okay do you want to do you want to read it or should i because it's oh i can yeah, read, yeah. It, yeah. read it read it Born of the U.S. government's 1928 raid on the degenerate coastal town of Innsmouth, Massachusetts. The covert agency known as Delta Green opposes the forces of darkness with honor, but without glory. In Delta Green, the role-playing game, you are one of these agents. You fight to keep terrors from beyond space and time from infecting the world and claiming human lives and sanity, often at a shattering personal cost. Wow, you got got downright uh, Rod Sterling right there at the end. With your pauses. Yeah. Ooh, <clears throat> I don't think I could do a whole like book that way. That would, mm. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> You've never heard me make that voice before. Yeah, it was a good voice. That did things for me. Man, I, I, I did a dry read on that too. I nailed yeah, it. Yeah, you did. That did things to me, sir. I, 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 I don't know if I'm ready to deal with them quite yet. <clears throat> Shall I say some errors? <laughs> All right, so, Jonathan. <laughs> Don't hate me. I, I can't hate you. You're beautiful. Um, You're beautiful. All right, Jonathan, so. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm getting so tired. So the fluff is Delta Green, agency. They fight the Cthulhu mythos and stuff. Back in the 90s, you were an illegal conspiracy because illegal conspiracies are tight. But... The new one, you actually are back working for the government because of plot stuff. Who cares? Uh, and the horror isn't that like, you know, back in the 90s, it's like, oh, the government totally could be watching you. The government totally could be watching you. And now it's like, the, yes, the government is totally watching all of us and they're all idiots. So part of the game is like figuring out what you can tell your bosses and what you can't, because if you give them something that's too cool, they might play with it too much and destroy the world. So, yeah, but that's about it. You're, you're investigators. You typically work in law enforcement, although not necessarily. And they send you in to investigate stuff and collect things and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it is set in the Cthulhu universe. The reference to the 1928 raid on Innsmouth, that's from the book the or the novella The Shadow Over Innsmouth by H.P. Lovecraft. And that's it. That's the, the fluff in a nutshell. I don't know. I, you keep calling it like the X-Files. It's, I don't know. I get your point on that, I guess. It is a little X-Files. It is the closest we're going to get. The, the key things about this system are not the system itself, but it's it's some of the choices that you have to make during the game, right? Like, one of the key things that we keep coming back to is, at least in our group, and, and I think this this feels like it's core to the game, is, is one of, like, moral choices and choices of when and how much violence to apply to a situation. Because mm-hmm. you can't just go be a murder hobo. Like, being violent comes with a cost, as it should, frankly. There's also, like, a much bigger focus on just 
general investigation and also generally not knowing the full picture, which I also really appreciate. Like, the mystery is the main character, which is neat. Like, I really like that. In my old Delta Green game, uh, it was kind of funny, like, how often adventures ended with, like, like everybody's kind of looking around. It's like, did something bad happen? And they're, like, like looking. Like, like uh, Key and Peele, like, looking for their wives when they're going to call them the B-word. And then they're like... <laughs> I love that skit so much. <laughs> and then they're like, no. Do you know what she said to me, Craig? <laughs> it's like, nothing bad happened. I guess we won? Question mark? All right. Cool. <laughs> Moving right along. The The most fun I've had with it is the consequences of actions are are, are firmly rooted within your individual characters, which is really neat. Um, that can come, you know, from a sanity perspective or that can come from a personal perspective, which is really neat. Yeah. The bond Um, system. Yeah. And, and the bond system is my favorite, most favorite part of the system. It's, it's the most clever thing that they've done with it. Uh, cause I think you could, you could say that from an RPG perspective, we've all played more complicated games. Um, mechanically, this is a reasonably simple system, uh, where it really shines is in the character creation and how well-rounded your character is and how important personal relationships are in this game, not necessarily to any individual gameplay um, session, but to the character's just general long-term health. Yeah, because one of the themes of anything with the Cthulhu mythos is investigating the Cthulhu mythos is inherently, it's just bad. It's bad for you. Yeah, it's dangerous and it should be dangerous. Yeah. And it gets reflected in the game with the bond system. Okay, so we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So um, the basic sim- system is simple. It's D100 based. You have skills. They are just straight percentages, you know? Yeah, you roll a D100 and you try to roll under it. And it does the uh, the gumshoe thing where, like, your character, for instance, has a very, very high search because you racked it up really high. So there's it's very infrequent where you actually have to roll a search. <laughs> a lot of times you just get it. But I like that. It keeps the It keeps the game going. Yeah, the game going. One of the great things about the character creation in this is that it does let you build a character um, that has a specific past and a specific path. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, you tell me from from a character creation standpoint, I feel like my character's past directly influences his path. uh, And that is definitely shown in the statistics. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Because your guy, you used to be like a jungle special forces dude, and then you joined the FBI. Like, that's your, your bad yeah, story. Yeah, he's Marine Force Recon, so he's all about, you know, hunting, essentially, alone. And that's what he's good at. He's And, and he became an FBI agent, and he is, he, he is a hunter. Like, he wants, that's what he excels at. That is what he gets satisfaction from, and that is what drives him, is, is he never feels more alive than when he is on the hunt. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves on that. So, Which is not to say that he's, like, you know, hunting people and killing them. He's an FBI agent. He's hunting them because they've done something naughty. Okay, so, yeah, the game's pretty basic. If you play D&D, there's six stats, and they all pretty much line up. you got strength, dex, con, intelligence, charisma, and power, which is, replaces wisdom. Power is kind of the uh, the magic stat. It also has a direct relation to your sanity score and your willpower, so it's a little important. Um, you can roll them. You can divide 72 points among them, or you can just choose an array that they have in the book, and then you're done. Um, I think I suggested you guys do the array, but a couple of people just spent points because they like spending points, but it doesn't really matter one way or another. Um, You just get stuff. Um, And then you select a profession. And this is the funny thing. So, like, you were talking about how your past and your profession, uh, like, it 
it feels like your character's really influenced by that. That is just simply you pick two templates. They have 18 pre-made templates in the book, like federal agent, physician, scientist, blah. And then they have like background packages. Um, and you can make up any one you want to. You can just pick eight skills, but then, you know, they have some pre-made choices if you don't want to think about it too hard. You figure out some secondary stats, like your hit points, which is just your strength plus your con and stuff like that. And your sanity, which is your power times five. And that's that. Like you're you're done. And it's funny that you say, okay, you're not entirely done. And then you've got to choose your bonds. But like you were talking about how your character feels so defined by his past. And it's like such a simple, you know, plug in system. You know what I mean? No, but it totally works. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of it. Like it is, a, it, it's a simple creation system, but it's one that is designed in such a way that in its simplicity, you build a, a fleshed out, interesting person. Okay. So what are the bonds? Uh, based off of which background you pick, you get between, I think three is the lowest I've seen. I might've seen a two, uh, but you get like three or four and you have a score in them that's equal to your charisma score. So if you have higher charisma, you have more deep personal connections. Like yours is a 10. I want to say what's your charisma at? Do you even remember? Uh, hold on. I have my character sheet open here. Hold on. Uh, yes, I'm at a 10. Okay. So my, my stats are, are strength 10. Constitution 12, Dexterity 11, Intelligence 14, Power 15, Charisma 10. There you go. And so, like, but one of the other characters in our party who's, uh, who's, his name is Huey, Huey Milkshakes, I mean, he's, like, a criminal. And uh, his charisma is, like, seven. <laughs> so his, his bonds are not as tight. Which, you know, but that's a choice the guy made because, you know, he's kind of a scumbag. So, you know, a lot of his a lot of his just choices like that aren't aren't as deep as somebody who like you who would have a little bit deeper ties. What you can do is if you ever take a sanity hit, which my wife just had to do this uh, this past episode, you can spend some willpower points and you can push the sanity loss or some of the sanity loss onto your bonds. But that lowers your bonds. And this is what the, the shattering personal cost was about. So say one of your bonds is like like your character's wife if you keep pushing sanity things up off to her and you get that bond down to zero that means your wife leaves you because you you're you know you pushing your crazy off to her is reflected in like probably being abusive towards her or at least aloof and ambivalent and whatnot and and that's kind of the part of the slow degeneration of all the characters is one by one, their kind of personal lives fray until the only people they have left in their lives are the other agents, which is a little bleak, I guess. <laughs> but it's fitting. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think we're going to get to that in our game because I don't think we're going to play long enough. I don't know. I think I think it's a cool. It is bleak because you. One of the things you're supposed to do is after the game uh, or after a adventure's over, you're supposed to show any losses to bonds. You're supposed to role play out exactly what happened. And so like Gina's character, she lost a couple of points in one of her bonds because she wanted to actually, she made a a new bond, but part of making a new bond is you have to lower another bond because you know, you're spending more more time with somebody else and you're straining the relationship. And so, yeah, like Gina's character made a friend in a photography class she was taking, but the cost of that was she had to lower her bond with her character's husband by two points to sort of reflect that, you know, you're not hanging out with your husband as much. You're kind of doing other things. And it's straining your relationship. And yeah, no, it's it's an interesting mechanic. It's bleak. It's friggin' bleak because like your bonds could be like your kids too. And it's like, how do your kids leave? You know, like why, you know, it's like basically damaging your relationship with your children so bad that they just want nothing to do with you anymore. <laughs> like that's just, uh. But I mean, like oddly, it, it's an extremely realistic way of looking at things from a relationship perspective because we've all seen that. 
Yeah, and it kind of forces the issue of of because in normal Call of Cthulhu they don't have that, and you know they just have the sanity. And I think having that showing you know that doing these investigations is personally damaging to you, and you know maybe at some point like. A, a character leaves in a character's life and they're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Cause that's part of the fluff too. Sometimes Delta green agents just stop. Like they're like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to stop. And you know, if your character naturally reaches that thing, you can, you could certainly retire your character because again, you're part of a, a federal agency. You can just say, I can't do this anymore. I'm retiring. And then boom, you get to make up a new character. Who's a new member of the team. That, that was a really good choice for this game. And it's so bleak. Like it's just, it's just awful. because. <laughs> 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 But it makes your actions mean something, you know? It gives it gives them weight and consequence, which is amazing. Yes. And then, yeah, I mean, we pretty much described making a character. You roll your stats, you pick your stuff, and you do the final details, which uh, I made you guys do this for the game where you have to take a damage veteran template where basically it's it's more backstory stuff. Uh, but that was that was it, you know? That That's how you make a character. I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say about the game. It's a very simple game. It's very bleak. Delta Green has a long history of making extremely messed up adventures that have really screwed up choices. Like, like, how about this? There, there's an adventure in the uh, the the handler, the game master's guide, that uh, I I don't want to run because it's messed up. It is that just makes me want to play it that much more. <laughs> it's so messed up. You're doing a good uh, job of selling it. That is the one thing I would say. Uh, Delta Green is bleak, and the adventures do not shy away from the bleakness. I, I sent you. Uh, they're coming out with another campaign called, called God's Teeth, and I sent you the the Reddit thread about it that people were commenting on it. Yeah, did goodness, you, did, man. Did you have a ch- chance to look at that? No, I read through it. It's whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite. Hold on, my favorite quote. I pull, I'm pulling that back up. Like one guy said, "I feel like this might be just a little too grim for my current group." but it does look great so far. And that's, that's like the reoccurring theme. Like people are like another person is like the first scenario in the campaign is one of the most brutally oppressive and hopeless things I've ever read. It's incredibly dark, even for Delta green. The whole campaign is extremely well-written and I imagine some people will think it's gone too far in places. (laughs) It's like, wow, what the heck's going on? I mean, I'll find out I'm getting the PDF of that, but, uh, but yeah, that, that is definitely Delta green's thing too. Like it, it really likes just awful choices. The last couple of rules are combat, combat, your initiative is your Zex order. You don't roll anything. And then you just roll percentages. Again, it's like, oh, my gun, my firing a gun is at 60%. Roll the dice. Sometimes you get buffs, you know, it's like sometimes like somebody will be out of cover or they'll get stunned and you'll get like, you know, plus 20% to your roll, which just means instead of having to roll a 60 or under, you have to roll an 80 or under, you just add 20 to what you need to do. And it's pretty easy. If you get attacked in melee, you can roll a dodge. If you don't get attacked in melee, you can roll a dodge, but then that takes your entire action. So if someone's, you know, firing a gun at you and you dodge behind cover, you don't get to fire back that turn. Boom. Like it's, it's just that easy. And the guns are fairly abstract. They just do damage types and you just sort of like fill in what kind of gun you have. And then lastly is the, the ever classic sanity check. It's your sanity is equal to your power times five. So you said your power was 15. So you have 75 sanity. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's that every so often you'll see something horrifying and, (laughs) and you'll have to roll a sanity check. And if you lose 15 points of your sanity, you hit what's called a breaking point. And that's when you can get a mental illness of some sort based off of what happened. And this game breaks it down. Sanity checks into three different types. There's unnatural violence and helplessness. And if you fail three things of violence or helplessness in a row, you become a accustomed to it which lowers typically your charisma uh in some way 
And it basically means after that point, you don't have to roll checks for it again. So like in our current game, there's been a lot of violence checks that have come up, but the, the Huey milkshakes, you know, scumbag criminal, he took a thing where he's already adapted to violence. So he doesn't have to roll for that because he's just an awful human being. You know, violence doesn't bother him. And the player is using that as a role playing tool because he doesn't care about it. He's playing himself like a sociopath where he's like, you know, like when it comes up, it's like, should we just murder somebody? And everybody's like, I don't think we should murder him. Like Huey's always like, yeah, why, why not? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, everything about this system, every aspect of it, I mean, like, it, it, it all comes back to being true to your character. Like, it, it makes it easy to be true to your character. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Because you, you, it, you've you built such a rich history, you've built such a uh, a specific set of skills, not to quote Liam Nesson movies, um, <laughs> and it's just, like, it, it's really impressive. Like, the the... The simplicity of the mechanics are are largely in part because the the complexity is in how rich you can make a character and and how it makes it easy for somebody to to play that character in this role playing universe. It's it's not hard to stick to character, which in a lot of other RPGs it can be. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do you have any last thing you want to say about the game now? Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed. Like the the, the game is it, it's really fantastic and it's been fantastic to play it. Um the simplicity lends itself well to keeping the story going and since this is so heavily based on story that that really is a a, a huge plus, you know. The the one thing that c- continues to kind of like always catch me by surprise is that low is bad, you know. <laughs> or low is good, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a that's a little weird. It's a it's percentage just, based system, but yeah, it's a silly thing. It's just flipping it upside down. But like you know, we've all been trained by years of playing other RPGs that that high is good, and in this one, high bad, high so bad. It helps kind of the the weird horror nature of it because because of the flip, it's kind of unsettling in a weird way and weird. I think that helps in a strange way. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I do. Yeah, my last thing is uh, I love Delta Green. I've been playing it for years and years and years since I bought the original book back in 96, I think is when it came out. It solves one of the problems that's always been there in Call of Cthulhu, which is, you know, it, it sounds like a bad joke, but it's like an Aquitarian, a college professor, and a police officer walk into a bar. And it's like, why are all these people together investigating something? Like, what do they have in common? And Delta Green just gives you a built-in thing of like, this is what you have in common, go. And it helps a lot because it also call of Cthulhu is kind of infamous for having a high body count among players. And if you're playing a longer campaign of it, you know, if somebody dies, it's like, yeah, you get a replacement because, you know, Delta green will make sure somebody is in the team, you know, that the team will always be full. And so, yeah, having a replacement character show up, there's an easy way to just insert them. Not like, Oh, Hey, this bartender that we talked to once, I guess he can come hang out with us now, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's Delta Green, the role-playing game. It's available now at your FLGS. Uh, There is the Agent's Handbook, which has all the character creation rules. Uh, There's the Handler's Guide, which has basically it's mostly fluff, although the hypergeometry, a.k.a. the spells, are also in that book. Um, And they come in a really sexy slipcase if you want to buy them together, which is quite nice. And then the Quick Play rules, uh, which is called Need to Know, uh, are free on PDF. Uh, I think it's like 20 bucks if you buy it maybe it's 15 it comes with a screen and a short adventure we actually ran that adventure uh the one with clyde and the cabin oh. that, <laughs> that was a fun one yeah yeah and and it, I, I think when we talked about it initially you said it uh 
you weren't entirely happy with it, but you know, I was trying to get the, I, I maybe I should have got the point across, you know, this is the, the play test or not the play test. The it's, it's supposed to be played in one night and it's supposed to kind of do a little bit of everything to kind of give you a taste of everything. And I don't know about you. I think it largely succeeds at that. Like it's, it gets your, your, your you get your feet wet, but you don't ever, you know, it, it does leave you wanting more because it doesn't do any one thing particularly good. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about that adventure? It's a great little starter adventure because it gets you used to the mechanics. You just need to know that you're not going to be hitting the meat of what you would normally want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's just the thing. Kind of know coming in that you're not getting the experience. There's already a lot of adventures out for the game that you can buy piecemeal, and they've been collected into books. Uh, there's Impossible Landscapes, which I'm sure is going to win an award this year because it's real good. It's a, it's a really good read, too. Um but yeah, they have adventures like Lover in the Ice, PX Poker Night, Viscid, etc. Um, then the other thing they have out right now is a book called The Labyrinth, which is about eight organizations that can either be allies or not so allies. Evil. I don't know. I, I can't think of the good word for that right now. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. And they're all kind of interconnected. You could kind of play a game of your weaving in and out of investigations of all these different you know groups. And then, yeah, they've got some books coming out soon. Fallen Towers, Those Who Come After, Deep State, Pisces, God's Teeth, and Final Passages. And there you go. That is that is Delta Green in a nutshell. And they've been hinting there's another Kickstarter coming, but we'll see what that is. I'm sure I will talk about it when it comes out because I will make my poor wife sad when I spend hundreds of dollars to get everything again because I own everything Delta Green has ever made because I love it. Well, for good reason. It's good stuff. It's the only RPG I've come back to besides D&D, to be honest with you. I've, I've never run two games of anything else. Not even Iron Kingdoms? No, I ran one game of that, and I played in one game of that, but I've never, I've never gone back. Oh, funny. Yeah. So there you go. Delta Green, the role-playing game. Go buy it. It's great. It's bleak. It's real bleak. Oh, my God. So bleak. Oh, yeah. No, that, that it most certainly is. <laughs> Well, Robert, I guess that brings us to the end of episode 107 of the Forgotten My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we do most of our chatting on Discord these days, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Robert, that leaves us with really only one thing. Any final thoughts? So, the last game of Delta Green I ran, did I ever tell you about the, uh, the, the timey-wimey one about the sandwiches? <laughs> no i don't think you did okay so kind of similar concept they were in a movie theater where supernatural stuff was afoot and time was a little broken because there was a cult of yog to soth in there and uh the way they figured out what time timeline they were in at any given point was where the sandwiches were because there were either no sandwiches somebody gets the idea to go get sandwiches that person is out getting sandwiches the sandwiches are there and the sandwiches have already been eaten. And one of my players made a point of eating the same sandwich five times. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Cause wibbly wobbly timey wimey ate the exact same sandwich five times. Delta green. How often do you get to eat the same sandwich five times? <laughs> I mean, that is a true statement. <laughs> Oh, did I ever? Uh, no, I've talked about this on the podcast before. What's that? T- oh, about the 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 single best thing I've ever done in role playing, where I got two of my Delta Green players who were sitting across the table get so frustrated at each other and the adventure that they made finger guns with their fingers and pointed them at each other like they were pointing their characters were pointing guns at each other. <laughs> yeah, you did talk about that. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good. 
I miss my friend Robert. He died. I'm sad. Oh. I'll pour some out for my homie. That makes me very sad. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's the one who introduced me to that movie, The Car. Oh, that wonderful crap fest of a movie. It was on Amazon. You should watch it. You'll like it. A hippie gets run over twice. <laughs> At least it's not five times. <laughs> no, you only want that to be a sandwich, sir. Just, you know, trying to find the... Trying to find the happiness in there. Did, did I bring this podcast down? I think you did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you I'm did. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> little, little bit of a mood killer there. Yeah. But That's the car... Right. The car. He's the he's the reason I, I have to watch Dreamcatcher every so often. Oh Lord. Yeah. Oh that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, Robert. Oh God, I said that out loud. Does that mean I have to watch that again? I really oh, don't want to. That's a rough one. I know. And that's like a the- legitimately rough one. That's that. <laughs> oh, that one hurts. That one hurts. That one's that one just that's a sack slap if I ever heard one. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. Oh yeah, it's a terrible movie. Man, one of many movies that's a terrible adaptation of a Stephen King novel. God, why is it that they can't nail that, right? Like it shouldn't be that. I don't know. It just shouldn't be. Leave you to perplex over the complexities of transferring Stephen King properties to the screen. As we wrap it all up and say that there's really only one thing to say be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 